welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 26, Robert Augustus Masters. Shadow work, exploration, integration, and turning towards our pain. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 26 of, can you believe it, guys, of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. And we have a really exceptionally uh, special show uh, today. But anyway, my name is John Dupuy. This is Dr. Bob Weathers. And this is our co-podcaster and producer, uh, Douglas Prater. And today we have with us Robert Augustus Masters. And even your name is weighty. No, Augustus, August, Mastery, Masters. And uh, uh, we've, we've had a couple of conversations before. I don't know if you've ever did, did it on video, but I've had it on uh, one of my websites, a conversation we had a long time ago that just was just brilliant. And, um, well, why don't you read the bio so I don't have to, uh, you know, say okay. it in my surreal oh. way. Robert Augustus Masters, PhD, is a relationship expert and psycho-spiritual therapist and trainer uh, with a doctorate in psychology. He is the co-founder with his wife, Diane, of the Masters Center for Transformation, a school featuring relationally rooted psycho-spiritual work devoted to deep healing and fully embodied awakening. He's also the author of many books, including Transformation Through Intimacy, Spiritual Bypassing, Emotional Intimacy, and To Be a Man, as well as the audio program, Knowing Your Shadow. His uniquely integral, intuitive work, which he developed over the past four decades, dynamically blends the psychological and physical with the emotional and spiritual, emphasizing full-blooded embodiment and awakening, emotional openness and literacy, deep shadow work, and the development of relational maturity. At essence, his work is about becoming more intimate with all that we are in the service of our deepest possible healing, awakening, and integration. And when we're done with the show, you can visit his website. You definitely should at robertmasters.com. That's great. All right. Well, welcome, Robert. Thank you. And uh, let me say just just the, your whole idea of spiritual bypassing in the book, that hit me. You know, it's one of those books that somebody mentioned it in a lecture, and I immediately just resonated to what they were saying, and I went and I ordered it. And uh, I, don't, I, I would hold up a copy, but I keep giving it away. You know, if I hear you need to read this. So it's one of those books I've, you know, I've bought a number of times and I do have, I do hear, have uh, this book to be a man, which I was honored to do a blurb on, which is like, Oh, right. It's like, Jesus wants me to do a blurb or something, you know, almost that level. Anyway. So, um, and you know, I've really been paying attention to literature, men's literature, you know, good books about being a man because I was trying to sort it all out. And I knew kind of what I, grew up with, had some good things, but wasn't the whole picture. And so every decade or so, there would be a good book about being a man. And there's not many, you know, uh, books out there. And you go to the women's sections in a bookstore, tons of, you know, women really know about being women pretty well. But this this man thing is rather kind of a, a lofty thing. And anyway, your book is just tremendous. And I think in the, in the, in the theme of recovery, 
you know, the men, and of course it's not just men who know what it needs to be a man. Women also need what it needs to, to, to know what it means to be a man in, in a, in, in a totally grounded and healthy, actualized, realized way. And it's just, it's just a real treasure. So, um, anyway, I just wanted to, to, to put that out before we started rolling and, and anything you'd like to talk about, um, as far as this process of recovery. And by the way, we also feel that the, the stuff that we're laying out for recovery, people who have substance uh, compulsions or any other kind of, we all basically need to do the same healing work to become the best versions of ourselves because with addiction or something else, we, we are all got stuff. Yeah, we, all stuff have, we all have an addict in us. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, there's many levels to it. And back to the book, To Be a Man, I mean, it's, it's written for men, but more and more women are reading it. Mm-hmm. Then saying to their husbands, I want you to read this. Okay. And uh, I'd love to do a book on To Be a Woman, but of course, I, I, it would be a little arrogant of me to write that directly. So if my wife gets healthy enough, maybe she could write it and I would, I would be in the background. Because I'm, I'm doing women's groups now, too, to my surprise. A lot of men's work since the book, To Be a Man, um, five-day groups, four or five times a year. Um, really deep work. Subtitle is bringing head, heart, and guts into full-blooded alignment. Mm-hmm. The full-blooded is really important because it's juicy work. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I've had more and more women want to do work just as with a group of women, and they feel safe with me. So I've been doing those now too, and that's going really well. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah, yeah when I yeah, and when I, I was. I, I was a, Go ahead. Go ahead, Robert. Sorry. I was just going to say when I was a wilderness guide, often I would be guiding um, or co-guiding groups of young women, you know, who are dealing with with addiction and blah, 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 out in the wilderness of these extended journeys. And then we start talking and almost all of them had been sexually molested or abused by man, mm-hmm. you know. And so I was the only man in the circle and going through this stuff. And first of all, I, w- I would start weeping, you know, and then I would just get angry and I would just so, so apologize, you know, it's like, Oh my God, as a man, you know what it's like to hear this stuff. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, that, well, that thank I'm God you weren't numb to serve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To, feel, to feel the natural rage and feel the hurt. And yeah. it's, it's really important. And there's a lot of safety for men just being with men. There's things we can discuss and explore with if women where there would be almost too much for many of them. Same with the women. The women, have, I've said, would you like to have a few guys in the group? They said, no, we, we feel better doing this. When I have trainings that are mixed, inevitably there's some, you know, attractions between men and women, stuff gets unclean. I get to work with that, but it can be kind of messy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm still doing mixed groups, but less inclined now. Mm-hmm. It's more late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's the way it went in the wilderness thing. We used to do mixed groups, and we finally just ended up, you know, doing, you know, men and women's groups. And then again, there's kind of a, a richness in the messiness too. So there's a time to, you know, to separate and a time to come together. My favorite male-female uh, dynamic is when I do couples work. I love mm-hmm. seeing couples fly in to do work with me for two days in a row. I love seeing the dynamic and working with it, teasing it apart, getting to the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and having written this book, what would you say, and I think this is really important for people who are working on themselves, men in this case, or if your husband or your loved ones or your son are, are, are working on it, what is, could you kind of encapsulate it, you know, say as much as you will, but what does it mean to be a healthy man in, in, you know, in your eyes and in your wisdom and, and all the work that you've done? Well, to have all that we are, be working together to be functional, to be having to be vulnerable, have spine. There's heart, there's guts, there's a, a clarity of mind. It all works together in a healthy man. 
But part of this means facing what's unhealthy in us as men, not thinking, okay, I'm going to be good. I'm being very devotional. I'm monogamous. I do my practices. And meanwhile, in the shadows, there's stuff festering. There's not this hidden. Promiscuous urges, pornographic pulls. When I'm working with men, I like to see all that pulled into the open. Once it's in the open, then we can work with it. And to get it in the open, we have to go through the shame that as often there are men says, I don't want to go near that stuff. I'd rather dissociate, go numb, get aggressive, attack you, attack myself in some way. Anything rather than feel the shame around being dysfunctional, screwed up. That's where the healing is. Mm-hmm. If I meet a guy who says he's really trying hard to be a good husband after being cheating on his wife a number of times, I, I say to him, I want to meet the you who still has that desire. Mm-hmm. It's buried in there, somewhere there. Let's meet him. Let's bring him into the open. Let's find out how old he is, what his origins were the degree of addiction you have to acting out his impulses. And that usually is a great relief for most men. It's embarrassing at first, shameful, hurts, but then, wow, now I can show myself. Now I can heal. Now I can become a safer man for, um, for women. And safer men for men, too. Exactly. You know? And that's so important. I mean, the safety is crucial. Without the safety, you can't go deep in relationship. You can't be a safe person if you haven't worked on yourself deeply. You don't know your dark, you have to know your dark corners, all of it. Yeah, yeah there's just no way to get a, get around that, is there? And, and I love the, the book, uh, um, uh, Spiritual Bypassing. And one, one of the things that's, it's just any path, technique, spiritual uh, program, whatever it is, if it avoids or neglects the shadow, does not deal with it, it's just become, it's going to become a pathology, a exactly. cult. You know, and I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, you know, oh, and the whole thing, and let's just deny uh, femininity, and let's deny sex. Oh, yeah, and let's just, like, put that in the closet. That's worked really well, you know. It's yeah. just it's just been, oh. That's a know. pulsating um, closet, isn't it? I mean, there's. God, oh, my God. Yeah, and the, one of the main cardinals in charge of the finances, I mean, the, the latest revelation this week is he's being called back to Australia for, a, you know, for decades of pedophilia, you know, it's like, Oh dear. You know, yeah. I had had an experience yesterday, Robert, that I want to share with you. And I had you in mind that we'd be meeting today. I meet uh, twice a week with uh, men's groups in a local treatment center. These are men who are addicts early in recovery, typically from heroin or meth, uh, long-term addiction. And uh, as it turned out, well, I came in yesterday with the idea of doing a, a meditation on self-compassion. And the topic would be self-compassion uh, uh, in relationship to shame. I came into the group and what was announced at the very beginning is that one of their fellow clients had just overdosed and died uh, in the last two days. And though I didn't know this man well, they did. And so uh, there was a part of me that had my neat little self-compassion package all set up. And I basically said, that's not going to happen today. Let's do something different. And they said, uh, what they acknowledge is no one's talking about it. We don't know how to deal with this. And so I said, I don't think there's any formulas for this, but I suspect that talking about it would be better than not talking about it. So for an hour, these men uh, uh, made themselves vulnerable. And their chief vulnerability was this, Robert, and I would love uh, uh, for your comment on this, is uh, one after the other said, I don't know how to feel anything other than anger. That's all I know how to do as a man. And so when you talk about grief or sadness or honoring this this man who died, I don't feel anything. 
And uh, I think what we came to was just acknowledging that was at least a step in the right direction of being naked or vulnerable. Well, that's it, because when I work with men like that, I I, want to address fairly early on the numbness that's going on without shaming them. Say, here's numbness. Let's explore it. Let's take our awareness into it. Let's find out when you first were numb as a boy to avoid Mm. certain things. What were you avoiding by becoming numb? What was the feeling going on before you became numb? And pretty soon, it, it, there's anger for sure. There's also fear and shame. Once, once we enter into that through you know, expressive work, body work, then things start to crack. Then the, when the grief comes, and I see this in women and men, it's the same. When the grief comes, it just breaks the heart wide open, and it connects us to everyone, for better or for worse, but it connects us. And so I work with grief a lot. And with men's groups, there's a lot of grief in women's groups. But to get to it, often the doorway is anger. Mm-hmm. Some of things have happened that have been really atrocious. And I don't just go for quiet anger. I go for the, the, the full thing, the full-blooded expression. Because mm-hmm. once the person is in, in that state, then that can mutate into profound vulnerability, openness, mm-hmm. grief very quickly. If it stops short of that and remains just merely aggressive, mm-hmm. the man or woman stays armored. They stay yeah. righteous. But underneath that, wow, yeah. there's the person's soul crying out to be seen. And, and nothing like someone's death to do that. Yeah. And then we consider yeah. our own death, the fact that we're so yeah. vulnerable. We're so, it's such a short time. I had a heart attack last year. If the mm-hmm. ambulance hadn't come in five minutes, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. I was so fortunate. Five minutes after I started, I, was, I had agonizing pain. I knew I was dying. My wife called. The ambulance was there. Mm-hmm. And all, every day since then, it's been bonus time. Yeah, and it softened me incredibly. I mean, I was already had some, but I was, can be a pretty hard-nosed guy sometimes. It really softened me and continues to do so. And, and I treat the days that, that are, keep coming as bonus time. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I, I've been close to death before many times. I've taken a lot of risks. But this time, this, was, this felt like this was it. Yeah. And there's no, nothing I could do to save myself. No meditative technique, no surrender. Uh, the order is completely blocked and I was blacking out from pain. Mm-hmm. Now an hour later I'm in bliss because now I can, I can breathe. I'm in the hospital. There's still a lot of pain, but I'm so fucking happy. To be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Robert, I have another question and it just got evoked by what you were saying. And I was aware of it when we came together today. It's just been the last bit of time that I've become more familiar with the literature on highly sensitive persons. Mm-hmm. You know, Elaine Aaron's research and so on. And I'm uh, well imagining that you're aware of it. I'm, I'm curious about this in relationship to the work I'm doing with men, particularly men coming out of addiction is that a high proportion, I think a statistically significant number of them, probably would qualify as what she calls high sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if, in addition to the work that you're doing around anger and around full-blooded, full-bodied wholeness as a male, any thoughts that you have about working with this dimension? And I'll tell you what the thought is, mm-hmm. is that I, when I first came across this literature, I felt how unfortunate that she would use the term sensitivity and, and then that revealed for me the incredible bias negatively, at least in the U.S. and probably in Western culture, is that that's the problem, is that using that word itself has a negative connotation. Exactly. And we don't need to come up with another word. We need to address the fact that culturally we we, we, need, to strip, we need to strip sensitivity of any negative connotations. That's it. That's We're it. All, yeah. I mean, I'm a highly sensitive guy. Yeah. I always have yeah. been. Yeah. You know yeah. what? I'm getting more sensitive as I evolve. <laughs> I, thought of that when you I, I, get, I can be hurt <laughs> 
<laughs> but it matters less to me. I don't, I don't care because I'm more. I'm In a masculine more way, I'd say, yeah, I lose my shit a lot more often now. <laughs> and notice the. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good way of putting it. You know, I'm yeah. losing my shit. But in, in, in a military thing, I was a soldier. You're losing your shit. It's not good, you know. But no. in, in a therapeutic sense, losing our shit and getting to the heart of, of the depth of our heart is exactly. And the more sensitive you are, the easier the process is. As long as you have some grounding, some degree of center, then you're sensitive. Like when I'm really leading a group, my radar is on super high. I'm very sensitive. I'm picking up so much stuff. But I don't feel overwhelmed by my sensitivity. It's more like it just helps me see more clearly, keeps me more attuned in my relationship with my wife, et cetera. And it's, it's, to me, I'm glad I have that. I suffered yeah. from it as a young boy. I was so sensitive. I got hurt too easily. I had yeah. no resources to deal with it. But now it's a gift. Yeah. And I wish for all men to, to be just as sensitive as women, mm. maybe even more. Just yeah. to not, not think, okay, my job is to be a man. You know, mm-hmm. being a man means in part being sensitive, even though we have a spine, we have guts, we can take strong stands. Uh, we're sensitive. Yeah. And I've seen some guys who are so armored and they're so, I have not met a man yet who's not really sensitive. I strip away the outer part. Yeah. Cut through yeah. the defenses. A lot of men who seem insensitive are just so armored. You cut through yeah. the armoring. Yeah. There it is. There's that tender heart. There's that little boy inside is being ignored or, or yeah. starved in some way. Yeah. yeah. yeah part I, of that I, for, I no, part of that for me, Robert, as, as a person with a fair bit of sensitivity myself, uh, has been an allergy to anger due to some things growing up. Um, and I wondered if maybe you could speak into that a little bit, the opposite pole of being so frightened by anger that we're not able to own our own and where well, the balance is and how to help the, the, the boy in you is going to continue to be probably afraid of, of aggression, which I'm sure you receive more aggression than anger. I distinguish them quite. Aggression is heartless on the attack. Real anger is an inherently vulnerable emotion. But if you had a negative association with any degree of anger, aggression as a boy, it's scarier as an adult to get into it. But part of the work is to connect more with the boy in you. So you're doing two things at once. One is you're, you're loving him. You're connected to him. You feel him. Two is you're protecting him. You're, you're, if need be, you can be very fierce. And then you're doing it for a boy who can't fight back. And when you do that, you step into your manhood more. where You're, you're holding the boy. You're taking a stand. You're angry. And you're learning how to be angry in a clean way, which means you don't blame, shame, and there's some degree of heart. So if you're pissed at me, it would work if I can feel you still care about me, even though you're angry at me. You can be heated, red-faced, but I can tell if you're caring or not. If you're not caring, I'm going to protect myself. If you're caring, it's a very different thing. And I think anger's gotten a bad rap in many circles, especially spiritually. Mm-hmm. In fact, in a lot of Buddhist texts, the, the word for anger is, is conflated with um, the terms for aggression, ill will, and hatred, like it's all the same thing. So I've taken great pains in my work to get, bring anger out of the closet and say, hey, we need more anger. I mean, healthy anger. <clears throat> I mean, aggression has to be converted back into anger. And when, you're, when I'm angry, it keeps my relationship fields clean and clear. It keeps me vulnerable. I've learned to be angry in a way where my heart's involved more and more. And if I'm working with you, we're going to go back into your history to where you first became frightened where you, for good reason probably. And to start to work that through. Once that's worked through, you'll be able to take more stands as a man and start to be glad that you have your anger on tap. It's a resource. 
Mm. Oh, really fire. Yeah. Uh, recently, uh, I have a friend, you, you might know her, Judith Orloff. She's written yeah. quite a few books about this. And she just wrote this book, uh, Survival, Survival Book for, uh, for the Empathetic or for the oh, Sensitive, yeah. another way the way yeah. we're talking about it. And a lot of it's just how to protect yourself if you're this super sensitive person and how not to hang out with toxic people too much and this and that and the other. And, of course, when we were talking and I asked, well, what about the gifts of it? And she didn't ever really get to that part of it, but you're really beginning to touch on that, you know, as, as taking the sensitivity as being vulnerable well, and being, thing, you know, people thing, can Joe, take advantage we, we of we can be very empathetic with someone um, who's actually really good for us, who's a good person, but it's, we get we fuse with them. We get we get lost in their emotional reality. So when I'm training therapists, I, one thing I teach them is is what I call lucid empathy, by which I mean being really empathetic, really connected with who you're working with, in close, where you can be touched deeply, but keeping just enough distance, mm-hmm. keep it in focus, and having what I call an empathic shield in place. It's like if you have a child and the child's young and it's really hurt, your heart goes out to the child. You keep just enough distance from the pain so you can call 911, do first aid. That's intimacy. Empathy alone can be a problem because we can, we can fuse with other people's states and lose touch with our own integrity, our own boundaries. But without empathy, there's no compassion. So it's an incredible thing to cultivate along with boundaries. An empathic person doesn't have boundaries is in trouble. Yeah, the, the, yeah, they certainly are. You want to say a little more about healthy anger? I like that. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm a passionate guy and I'm awful, you know, and maybe, maybe a lot of my anger has <laughs> not been healthy, but I certainly, I certainly can get angry at injustice and, and, well, uh, thank you know, God things for that. around I mean, me. I think it's yeah, important yeah. to have that moral outrage and to not just go, well, that, oh, there's some bad news. I mean, what's on this, what's happening in sports right now to stay with it. I think there's things that are important to be angry about and, and healthy anger to me doesn't shame the other, doesn't put them down, but it certainly addresses. It underlines things emphatically. So if I'm angry at you and we're friends, I might be very heated, forceful, penetrating, but I haven't forgotten that I care about you. I may not show on my face, but you can feel it for me. In other words, I'm, safe. Right. I'm safe. And then you can, you can open to what I'm doing. You can receive the anger. If there's any aggression, any attack, any righteousness, any putting down of John, you're probably going to feel a little like, I don't know if you know about this. You're going to sidestep me, push back. You're not going to let me in as much. So healthy anger always has some degree of heart. Unhealthy anger, there's no heart. And you know what? Unhealthy anger, aggression, we dehumanize the other. And then we get into things like, you know, the extreme ethnic cleansing, dehumanization. It's them, a dark, distant them. And yeah, and if, and if there's if there's that real loving and really you know the person knows that you care about them, then you can get angry, and it's just like it's not pleasant. But oh my god, this is a lot of love long as that's you coming at me. I mean, there's a lot of caring. Long as you don't overdo the caring part, because then that can that can yeah. camouflage the anger. You're trying so hard to be nice and show that you care about. Ooh, them. Yeah, your anger gets yeah. left out. <laughs> you want to be able to no. have some people in your life you can cut loose with like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago, I was at a conference with the union analyst, James Hillman, and he was addressing depression. And, and uh, uh, he said, uh, uh, we Westerners, uh, we get enraged 
and and then that uh, in that that sense of being enraged turns into an interior process, and we we become uh, depressed. And he says, far better to be outraged. And then he went on to talk about that. You remind me of him, Robert, as yeah. you're talking about this. That there are plenty of things that are outrageous, and the proper response is outrage, mm-hmm. you know? as opposed to enrage. As right? opposed to enrage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. yeah. That's good. yeah. 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 To let it come out, yeah. and then the work then is to be responsible in how we how we cut loose. Yes. Yes. Not to just yes. say, okay, I'm just being angry, you know, yes. like anything, uh, that, yes. that means whatever I'm doing is fine, should be accepted. Yeah. No, yeah. we have a responsibility to how we, how we channel it, how we deliver it. Yeah. Yeah. I so love your languaging of it, Robert, around uh, anger has heart. Just that, just wait, every time that you speak that, and I've read your, uh, your book where you discuss these various ways of looking at anger, aggression, and violence. And it's that introduction of heart. You know, it's, I don't know, uh, for me as a, a, a young boy growing into manhood, I think heart got left out of the equation for the most part. I, I think for most of us. Yeah. 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 Anger and love can coexist. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, all the time. You know, one of my, my passions that I picked up in the last few years is I'm a, I, I play the blues guitar and I sing the blues. And I'm, I'm a depressive man. I, I've written about it, talked about it. It's almost killed me. And, you know, and so it's like I've so many times I've been to the place where the death holds no fear. Cause when you're in that much suffering, it's like non-existent sounds like a really nice option. Uh, and, and thank God, you know, through, through, you know, through your work, through the, the, the work that I started trying to teach others to do, it's like, Oh my God, I'm working on myself here. But uh, I found sometimes when I just get down, you know, when I listen to the news or, you know, blah, 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 my own failings of not being enough or what I think I should, whatever my ego wants to beat me up about, I'll, I'll go and I'll start playing some Peter Green like there's a song. I've got a mind not to live anymore or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I find that just getting into that and, tra- you know, translating through through my lips and through my voice and stuff like that, it really just, it, it makes it human. It brings it out and and somehow transmutes that. And uh, then I connect with, you know, you think you're the only guy surf, suffering on the planet like this right now? It's like, yeah. oh, welcome to the family. You know, then it kind of spreads out and, mm-hmm. and it turns into kind of a warmth and a love and a connectedness and, and a humility and a deepness, I think. Yeah, and also I hear in what you're saying a, a need to be really clear about your inner critic. So your inner critic does not have a field day with you. doesn't get to nail John for not being freighter than he thinks he should be or being perfect. <laughs> And that, yeah. that part of our psyche is not dealt with. It, it and it gets a whole it connected up with the child in us. We're we're going down the tubes. That's inherently depressing. You're literally being pressed down. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Robert, this may be uh, too broad of a topic, or maybe would be something brilliant. But what I would love, and I think maybe our audience would love, is if you have a recommendation for a practice we could do every day to start to get in touch with maybe some of the things that are hidden within us that need to be healed and then how to heal them. Well, there's a couple practices. One of one um, is having a conscious rant. That means that means in a clearly perimetered space where there's no danger of hurting anyone, you stand up, you start to let yourself shake you bring to mind whatever it is that's overwhelming you, hurting you, you're in despair about, you're angry about, and you cut loose for long as you can. Usually it lasts, I've never seen it go beyond a minute for most people. You go over the top with it. You, mm-hmm. you, you discharge that energy. That's not the only, that's not a solution to our woes, but it's part of keeping ourselves cleaner energetically. Um, a more sinful practice or co- coexisting practice would be to 
deepen your work on your shadow. Get to know what's in there. So it's not just this arcane concept of considering archetypes. You're going into, here's, here's the conditioning of mind that's still not illuminated or not illuminated fully. What is it? And you can see that by looking at your early history where you split off, push certain things into the shadow out of survival. Yeah. That's a great practice. And, and to um, ideally put yourself in the hands of someone who can work with shadow really skillfully. Because just on our own, we can go so far. But if you're really, with a really good psychotherapist or another type of therapist who knows shadow work inside out, that can make yeah. a huge difference. And that means cutting through the shame that says, I should be able to do this on my own. Why should yeah. I need someone else? Yeah. Exactly. And this stuff. Stuff has to be anchored in the body too, right? I hear you talking totally. about that. It's to be full bodied. It can't just be an intellectual no, it has uh, process to, where you you're aware of it. Well, it's a highly emotional process. You see, emotion. Yeah. But people often think emotion just means feeling. To me, emotion is more than feeling. Emotion includes feeling, cognition, social factors, uh, your conditioning. It's all mixed together. It's very complex. So when you work with emotion, you're working with a lot more than just feeling. And if you go into that. Um, you have to enter the body. You have to work with the body and, and get into your guts, get into where the wounds are, you know, the jaw, small of the back, the feet. The, I mean, I, I do body work with everyone I work with, hands-on, intuitive, um, connecting it with emotional direction at the same time. Because I find it's very, our body contains it all. I mean, your history, my history is all, we've embodied it. Sure. Even the stuff we can't remember, it's still there. I mean, we don't remember our births in a narrative sense, but somatically, you know, the part of the brain that registers emotion is mature at birth. So we can recall emotionally, somatically, viscerally, our birth. I have and a bit earlier, last trimester, our first months, it's all sitting there in our body. And so much therapy does, bypasses the body, doesn't include it, or, or, or looks at it spiritually as just a container for who we really are. There's a devaluing of the body. Yeah, yeah, right, right. The body right. needs to be honored. I mean, especially as we age and it starts to creak and groan a little more, it's calling for more attention. Uh, it's a story I've shared before, but you just reminded me of it, Robert. I had seen a, a therapist for a number of years, and, and for whatever reason, one day I was walking down the outside walkway to his office, and he was standing out there on the balcony, and he watched me walk towards him. We walked inside of his office, and Don said to me, you know, Bob, in all of these years of work, I've never seen you walk. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, we riffed on that in terms of all the embodied things that he didn't know about me. We just made a list there. And I appreciated so much his humility, but it was acknowledging that if we just limit it to what's above the shoulders yeah. and on the head, look at all that we miss. Or to look how you walk, which shoulders higher. Are you more yeah. weight more on your heels? Like a good roll yeah. for look at your yeah. body. Yes. There's that yes. sense of really... Uh, I mean, I, I get body work every week mm-hmm. from rolfers, mm-hmm. other therapists. I like yes. to have my body worked on. I already know my body well, but it feels lovely to have someone go into my body and I can yeah. take my awareness in there and go, ah, oh, here's mm-hmm. this vehicle, mm-hmm. this aging vehicle is still mm-hmm. somehow functioning. <laughs> and I, I, I love that. Mm, that's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Bob, I got I have, I want to, I want to bounce this one off you. This is something I've been, I've written about and experienced and, 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 and taught is that, you know, we have the dark shadows, right? You know, all the stuff that happened to us, God knows, sometimes it could be generational, you know, cultural, all kinds of stuff down there to work on. But what about the light shadows? What about those good things that are residing uh, 
uh, in our souls as maybe that's one, that's potentiality. One of, that's one of the benefits of doing deep shadow work. If, you, if you're going into your shadow deeply, you're going to come across the bigness and the beauty that you may have stored there, shoved away there. So I'm, that happens too. I've had people do most traumatic, painful work, and suddenly they're awake spiritually. Not that that was the goal. They sit up out of the trauma, the emotional work, and they have a clear sense of who and what they are. Maybe it just lasts a story for a short time. And that's because they've opened so deeply that their the essential self can show up. It can move through. And also can essential gifts. In other words, if you have this vocation to call you a musician, a writer, a yeah. therapist, a teacher, a healer, a parent, whatever it is, and that is never expressed. Somehow you're, you know, you were blocked by outside circumstances or blocked by your own interjected messages about what you can and can't do. Yeah. I found that in my place, that was a, a big part of my, my own suffering. And there's sure. this great quote from the gospel of Thomas and I probably misquote, but I'll paraphrase that Jesus said, he said that if you keep that, which inside of you, inside of you, it will kill you. But if you bring it forth, it will bring you life. Mm-hmm. And I've interpreted that. I mean, that could, that could be the dark shadow too, but as the gifts that we have to give back to to the world, to our planet, to our family, to our brothers yeah. and sisters. If we keep that, it'll fester inside of us. Well, that's when people ask me what my path is. I say my path is to be intimate with all that I am, everything, mm-hmm. high and low, dark and light, mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. and ugly, whatever, just to be intimate with all of it. It's brilliant. So yeah. the true size is there, and also our smallness, our darkness, our selfishness, our greed, it's all there. It's all there. And it's all there to be looked at, known, and related to. And the peak of relationship for me is intimacy, to be intimate with it. Just imagine if, say, you had lived a more shut-down life and you've never done music. You'd be a very different man now. If that urge, that natural pull towards music had never emerged and was kept in the shadows, you would, you would have suffered a lot from that. All three of us get really quiet when you say that, Robert. All, all, all three of us are musicians. <laughs> well, it's like when, like I I love writing. If I no one ever read me ever again, I'd still write. And I didn't. Yes. I, I wrote. I, I did poetry as a very young boy, and then I got shut down through my teens, my twenties, and I rediscovered poetry in my twenties. But it came out of me. It bubbled out of me in the most unusual way, and I couldn't stop it. It was in my blood. Yeah. And the way I work, same thing. It wasn't all like I thought it'd be a, in a therapist would be a good idea. I just started working with people for free in the 70s, mid-70s. And uh, by 78, I thought, man, I'll hang up my shingle. And, of course, it worked. <laughs> but it was in my blood to do that. Yeah. It was natural, just like others. Yeah, music's in there. Like my wife's been doing music since she was a tiny girl. She can't help but be completely <laughs> devoted to musical expression. It's her passion. I don't share that. I share different ones, but it's like those gifts have to be brought forward and shadow work allows those to be brought forward and people often aren't aware of that. Yeah, and for those that are listening here, maybe the whole idea of shadow work is something new. Can you give us a, yeah, what is Robert Augustus Master's definition? A guy who has mastered perhaps a shadow work. What would you say, you know, for somebody that doesn't know what we're talking about? Well, first of all, shadow shadow to me means... um, <clears throat> that dimension of us that where we store usually unknowingly what we've disowned in ourselves, rejected in ourselves, don't like about ourselves, etc. Things we say about in so many words, that's not, that, that's not me. That's not me. That's shadow. But it's not, but what's even more central shadow to me is our unilluminated, not yet, how can I put it? Explored conditioning. 
it's a very deep thing. It's not just this little sideline pursuit. It's very central. It's all our conditioning that we don't know yet, haven't faced yet. And shadow work, in the best sense, means moving toward that stuff, getting to know it, relating to it skillfully, integrating it. That's a huge undertaking. And that's personal. Once you do that for a while, you start to become aware of collective shadow. Thank you. And that's a huge thing to become aware of collective shadow and, and to be aware of how that's impacting us and to make shadow work an adventure that brings out the best in us. It brings out our courage because it requires that you turn toward your pain, your suffering, your discomfort and start to slowly but surely enter it and explore it. And that, you, you can't do just intellectually. It's an emotional, visceral, somatic journey. And then eventually entering your pain deeply enough for you emerge from it. There's still more pain, but you have That's a different right. relationship to pain. Yeah. You can't emerge from it if you, if you haven't already entered it. Yeah. And to enter it, you have to face it. That's the big step. major step is you turn toward the painful and choose to go toward it. Oh, there's the addict in me. There's the critic. There's the boy. There's my greed. There's my lust. There's my, there's my true self. You know, it's all, it's all there. It's a storehouse. And I think um, an awakening doesn't include deep knowledge of one's shadow. It's, not, it's going to be always a partial awakening. Yeah. And the shadow can, can take that part of the awakening that may be real and twist it in all kinds of weird ways. The mm-hmm. unconscious part that you haven't dealt with is comes back and bites you in the butt and yeah. uh, can destroy everything you're trying to do in the world. And exactly. weird, you know, I mean, yeah. so, so many ways to, yeah. to, to spin that one. I think for myself, how I meditated straight through my addiction. I, just, you know, I was like the most mindful addict on the planet. You know? <laughs> Did that change your addiction? Mm, you know, a story comes to mind. Back in the the uh, back in the eighties, uh, I, I first came across spiritual bypassing in John Wellwood. I was in graduate school. And uh, I was also simultaneous in the early 80s beginning to, to practice uh, uh, Zen meditation. And I realized at some point as I was reading him and contemplating it, that I was using meditation as a way of bypassing what was going on in my marriage. And I actually made a, 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 a vow to myself. I needed to stop meditating for a period of time in order to address what was necessary. And it seemed very un-Buddhist of me to do that, but I did do that. And I did address uh, I did address what was going on in my marriage, and then continued on my way, merry way back into to meditation. It wasn't until a decade later that I became acquainted with substance abuse and addiction, and I, I think it was a very similar process for me. My meditation somehow kept that in quiescence in terms of the dissonance of that, and uh, it, it eventually needed to kind of explode or implode or whatever on itself uh, for that to get cleared out. And then once again, again in my life return back to the, the mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that for me, I, you know, if you, if you look up spiritual bypassing and Wikipedia, I'm not sure that maybe my picture shows up there or something like that. <laughs> Cause I've, I've really lived it. Uh, feel so intimately related to what you've written about Robert. And it's quite a journey, isn't it? It's a journey of mm-hmm. deep healing, awakening, yeah. integration. And yeah. it more often than not, it brings us to our knees. Yes. We get humbled in a really good way. Yeah. 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 
And everyone's got addictions. It's like, well, how, what, how am I dealing with the addict inside? <clears throat> am I shaming that myself for that? Am I bringing compassion to it? What kind of compassion am I bringing to it? And I found it most useful to personify the addict within as a young child. So there's more, my, my heart opens more very quickly. Here's the me who still can be hooked. And what am I doing with him? I'm yeah. helping him. I'm protecting him. I'm helping him, setting boundaries for him. I just had a thought. You asked a question a couple of minutes ago, and it's, I'm sometimes slow to respond. Is it the way the mindfulness has, has informed my own relationship to the addict within has been uh, a lesson in contrast? Because there's a lot, I've done a lot of work in the 12 step uh, support group uh, settings and so on, but it's easy to demonize the addict within. And, and I felt intuitively that that's not the direction for me to go. And, and so in the spirit of what you're saying, there's much more of a conversation ongoing these days, these years, with the addict and all the other uh, uh, personalities within in a much more gracious way than simply just marginalizing, uh, excising. Let's just, let's just surgically remove the addict from within. It doesn't go that way. At least it doesn't go like that here's way. All these, here's all these occupants of our shadow. Yeah, I think the work yeah. is to say, invite them into your living room. A difficult yeah. guest is still a guest. Yes. Handle with care. Have your boundaries up. Mm-hmm. But don't, don't keep them outside. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to know them. You want to see them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a joy in that. And there's a mm-hmm. sense of, ah, this, this actually is safety being created. Like, I'm, less, I'm not going to act out this stuff because I know it so well. I'm not mm-hmm. saying, got to keep it down. It's more like I'm intimate with this part of myself that's greedy or selfish. When it kicks in, I can name it with some humor, some compassion. That's right. If I can't, my wife can point it out to me. <laughs> she is so tuned into me. She'll see yeah. right through me, and we share a mutual transparency. So, hmm. Yeah, that, that part that I mentioned, you know, that I'm not good enough and, and all of this kind of stuff, at this point, it's become rather humorous. You know, it's like, you're kidding, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you expect John Dupuy to be perfect? And you, you want me to buy into that? Did you say the same yeah. thing to John Dupuy last week and the week before? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard this a thousand times. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. Yeah, so so yeah, so it's there, but it begins to lose its charge to hurt you yeah. as you learn to accept it and go, oh, well, that's mine. You know, it's like Ram Dass said, I've never lost a single perversion, right? He just <laughs> came into a, a more manageable relationship with it. <laughs> It takes a tremendous amount of courage to be so vulnerable and so intimate, let alone, I mean, with others, of course, but even with oneself. And I wonder where we can draw from to build that courage, to tap into that courage, to confront some of these elements of ourselves and share them with the world. Here's a good place to start is to turn have a vow to turn toward your own pain and start with the small pains, the things that are not a big deal to you, but they still, they get to you somewhat. Practice turning your attention to turning your attention towards those things. And that's a major step that just, if you can do that, that will cause a real shift in you at many levels to face what's there. So there you are, you're with a partner, you said something that's kind of painful and suddenly you just really, you suddenly get vulnerable. You feel your shame or what you've done. And instead of turning your shame into aggression or withdrawal, you sit in the fire of it. You just sit there with it. You turn toward it. And what this does, it brings out the warrior in us. It brings it, it takes courage. 
So when you feel that, you feel your courage deepening, it's an impetus to keep going. Okay, next time something comes into my life that seems painful or difficult, I'm going I'm I'm to face it. I get more data from this situation when I do that. I feel more plugged in, I'm more rooted, grounded, and start with the small stuff. Then when the big stuff comes along, you'll be more prepared. Yeah, and, and when you, you continually do that, you begin to trust the process more. Yeah. And uh, one of the kind of the secret handshake in uh, integral recovery is, you know, when we first started with house practice, you know, we check in and Doug asked me that earlier today and I was like, that was really painful. You know, I went through a lot of stuff, you know, and I just poured it out there and this is shit I can't fix, God. So I'm just going to be here and anytime you want to, you know, transmute it, take it away or anything, it's all good by me. In the meantime, we have to carry on. And I just, I just poured it out. I, I just, I, I, but in the end, I just felt kind of emptied and humbled and okay, I, I am human. So, you and know? Then, then it shifts from, oh my God. Such shit, it shifts to holy shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. It's still shit, but you know what? I'm here, I'm alive, and I have the capacity to turn at least some of it into compost. And the stuff I can't, I'll put up with the smell, I'll put up with what it that's reminds it. me of. And I'm not going to put myself down because that's there, because this is, this is part of my makeup as a human being. Yeah. Uh, one, one time, I told this story before, but I was like, I just couldn't get rid of this particular resentment or whatever it was, anger about the situation or person. And I was like, God, you know, how can you possibly even use me? I'm just so fucked up. And he was like, the answer that came back was very, you know, like a second person thing with God talking to me. He said, well, you know, John, I am God. I can probably work around it. Okay. Thank you. By the way, so can you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, I'm you having a fucked up experience. It's like, okay. <laughs> Robert, I wanted to just say this in acknowledgement. I know that you know this, but it's so uh, patently obvious, your your compassion towards yourself and towards us. And uh, you just radiated. I just want to bow and honor that in you, Robert. You're a... a you're an incredible ambassador of what you speak. You, 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 your every uh, comment today, your every statement embodies what it is that, that you're all about. Really honor that in you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I'm really enjoying being with the three of you. It's such a, <laughs> such an easy flowing conversation. Like we could, you know, we could be sitting around somewhere else to having the same type of discussion. Mm-hmm. This is how I talk with the guys in the men's work too. So if mm-hmm. one guy needs needs some work, we dive in deep. Everyone mm-hmm. becomes a safe environment for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and everyone yeah. sitting here has suffered, and we're we're mm-hmm. talking about our suffering and and working through that, working with it. And it's actually it's actually it has some there's humor in it, isn't there? There's a, there's a yeah. pleasure. In saying, oh, absolutely. Can talk about this stuff. Yeah, I had a shitty day. Here I am. I mean, it's like <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't mean oh I can't show that. Mm-hmm. Anything that uh, obviously people can go to your your website uh, to find out more about your work, yeah, to go yeah. to workshops, get all your books. Do you have a book of published poetry, by the way? Yes. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think on Kindle. Yeah, we're we're big poetry fans here. It's called "Until Our Song Is Fully Sung." What a beautiful title! You could have just stuck with the title and not written anything else, and that would have been <laughs> enough. <laughs> it's the shortest book ever, but dude, it's deep. And I, I, I love try that. and work poetry into all my writings, and the editors are always trying to cut it back, and I put it as much as I can. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I'll say this: Yeah, this paragraph maybe seems too poetic to you, but I like saying it poetically. Yes. That I can transmit a little more than just using uh, pro, 
ordinary prose. Prose tends to march. Poetry can dance. Yeah. So and I began as a writing poetry, and I started writing in my twenties. My first love, and I, of course, the music I've done with my wife Diane. We have uh, it's my lyrics, her singing, her arrangement, and I love doing that too. That's awesome. Yeah. Any uh, any words of advice to artists looking to lean into the vulnerability of honest creation? Hmm. Get into it fully. <laughs> Dive into it. Even if it hurts, don't take the hurt as a sign. You shouldn't proceed. Just keep going and have comrades along the way if possible. Support. Yeah. Yeah. So you can yeah. compassionately kick your own ass. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Beautiful. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and thank you, everybody listening to this. And uh, yeah, this is, you know, if there's a. Anyway, Robert, you're just one of the, the heroes and, you know, you're kind of one of my Eric Clapton's or Stevie Ray Vaughan's of inner work, the way I honor these guys in my guitar playing. So you're always there. And, and, not, and not only that, but you some of these things I discovered on my own, but to have you reconfirm it so eloquently, oh, I'm not psychotic. This is something that's real. And to validate my own process and, and going through all this stuff has been such a huge gift to me. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.